It's wonderful to hear God's people celebrating the peace of Christ and taking that celebration to one another, greeting each other in the name of Christ. We welcome you to Veritas Community Church. If this is your first time, we um, especially welcome you. And um, if you have not brought a Bible or if you do not own a Bible, they look like this in the back. We'd love to give this to you. JJ's in the back, and if he sees a hand go up, He'll have a Bible into your hand in 32 seconds. And then on page 593 is where we're going to be looking at God's Word and exploring it together. So this is a gift for you. Also, you will find um, connect cards in your bulletin. Please fill those out and turn them in. We love to pray for everyone. And if there's follow-up needed, we, uh, we do that um, expediently and um, in faith in Christ to meet people right where they're at. Well, today we're going to conclude a series, a series that started, Garrison, when was it, three months ago or first Sunday in January and first John, and we have been overwhelmed in blessing as we have taken a small letter and slowed it down and worked through it and extracted from it all that God is for us in Jesus Christ. And we trust that that's been a sweet time for you. It certainly has been a sweet time for me. Today is our last message in this series, and you will find it in 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. So if you can work your devices or your books on over to... 1 John 5, 18 through 21, this is where we'll be for a few minutes. And so if we're there, let's go ahead and stand at the reading of God's Word, His precious Word, the Word that we receive with respect and awe and anticipation that He actually speaks to us through His Word by His Spirit. Hear now God's Word. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask for much grace now. I pray that all of our minds will be stayed upon you, that there will be no self-conscientiousness, but rather a understanding of your presence and a desire to be other-centered and to move towards your word. So open our hearts and do what you may in our lives that we will leave here different for your glory and the good of people around us. And all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So as I was trying to understand this passage and try to deliver it to Veritas Community Church. I read it many times. I read 1 John many times to get the flow once again, and, and, and I noticed something, that 
he is concluding. This is the end of the, the letter. I know I'm a slow learner. It took me a while to see that it ends here, but that was the first observation that really hit me, like he is done with what he is saying in his letter. That is to say, these are parting words to these people. These people are just like you and me. It's a small community. Um, There were uh, many um, of these communities, many of these churches in Asia Minor. And picture with me uh, the, the Apostle John writing first letter of John to these people. And the pastor stands up and says, I have received a letter from the Apostle, Apostle John, and he wrote to us. You imagine what's going on in their minds. And, and he begins to read it. And then as he starts concluding, he's summarizing everything that he has been saying for the past five chapters. Things like, we have certainty, we have assurance that Christ has come in the flesh. We have assurance that he went to the cross as the propitiation of our sins to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to appease the very wrath of God and to cause us to be born again and place us into his family so that we are called children of God. This is a certainty, this is an assurance, and he's summarizing these things. Moreover, we have an assurance and a certainty that this is a supernatural world that the devil continues to, to prowl around trying to seek someone to devour. And he sends forth his antichrists and his children of him. And they form little deceptions around trying to allure God's people away from Jesus this is the world in which we live, and I want you to know that this is, this is certain. This is, the, this is reality. But we have been given the ample resources and abilities to continue to walk by faith and to love one another and serve one another and grow in grace and truth and love and hope and joy until the glorious day because we know this, that Christ is coming again for his people. All this is packed in a small little letter called 1 John. Moreover, in these certainties, there are responsibilities largely to don't worship the world and all that is in it, but rather worship the one true God. And out of that worship, out of that strength, out of that joy, comes a deep desire to go horizontal and love the siblings, the brothers and sisters in Christ. And since we live in a broken and dead and decadent world, there are other people who so desperately need Jesus Christ, and so we move outward with the gospel to them. This is all found in 1 John. And so I was going to title it, Certainties and responsibilities, and I think that that would have been accurate, but it just didn't connect with me that this is the end of the letter, and he's calling them little children, and as soon as he's done, it's as though he is sending them out into this world, and so I paused and thought, a better title, I think, would be Parting Words for My Little Children. And that's what this is all about. 
And as I thought of parting words for my little children, I thought of what we do with our children. Lisa and I have four children, grown, gone. So we've gone through this a few times. So when like our first child is five and she's ready to go off, sweetie, it's time for kindergarten. It's a new world for you. We have been telling you about the certainties of God. We've been telling you about the certainties of your your family. We love you. We have outfitted you. We have resourced you. Now, we're going to send you off. These are parting words to our little children. She quivers a little bit, and it's, it's okay, honey. We are with you. We take you there, and we get you to Miss Kincaid's room, and we say, now, you have everything you need. You have your book bag. We've gone over this one verse in the Bible that we've been memorizing, and you have that. And now you're going to go into that door, and it's in a big world, and there's all these new people. Greet them. Enjoy them. Don't be afraid of people. And when you see that little one in the corner who is, is scared and wants to run away and go home, why don't, you, why don't you just go on over and sit down and say, hi, I'm, and introduce yourself, and, and what, what is your name, and where do you live, and just kind of befriend and get to know, and, and know that if you get afraid or you get hurt, they'll take you down to the office, and they'll call us, and we'll, we'll come, you know that, and we'll be with you. It's, it's going to be okay. We don't leave you, do we, honey? And, and when you do that art stuff, you know, and you, you are in art class and whatnot, just, just remember that the, the glue is meant to hold down those pictures. It's not meant to eat. <laughs> now, sweetheart, go, and we'll be back to get you. And, and then we did this a little more sophisticatedly when they left high school and went into college. And there are wonderful opportunities, and there are wonderful experiences, and there are awful pitfalls there. So you've been outfitted, son. You've been given much. So go and all those kinds of things and, and beware of certain things and befriend people and enjoy people. And when our other one went to the university where our other son was, and, and another thing I want you to know is your brother doesn't know these things that you've experienced for two years. And so just keep an eye out for him. He's your brother. Parting words for my little children. That's what's going on here. So as I begin to preach, think of this letter as it truly is. The Word of God. Think of it as coming right out of the pen of the, the, the Apostle John, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit governed so that he has the Word exactly the way he is. And now we read that over, and he says it five times in a small letter. Little children, little children. And so what does he say? The big idea is all who are born of God... All have certainties and responsibilities. So as we move through this, you'll see the, the certainties, bedrock, solid, immovable, indestructible reality. And then peppered in there, you'll see a couple responsibilities. And so as I looked over this, you can see it in your Bible. There's an internal outline. 
literary markers, and we know, verse 18, and we know, verse 19, and we know, verse 20, and then he concludes with an exhortation. And so as I was looking at that, it started forming couplets. 18 and 19 go together thematically, and 20 and 21 go together thematically. And so as I was starting to think of how this is unfolding for Veritas, it goes like this. Everyone who is born of God, all who are born of God are protected by Jesus. Verse 18 are in a world under satanic control. All who are born of God are truly knowing the true God. And then lastly, all who are born of God are to be looking out for one another. So let's start in verse 18. Notice with me. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. We know that. That's a reality. And that just took my breath away. It started reminding me, everyone, there's no levels of Christianity. Everyone. There's no caste system in Christianity. It's everyone who has been born of God And then these realities. Everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now that was amazing to me. So you see, this world in which we live is utterly supernatural. I hope you know that. I hope you believe that. Starting with everyone who is born of God, that's a miracle. You you go to the mirror and you look and you go, oh! It's a miracle because it is. You didn't read a bunch of books and go to a bunch of seminars and say, I'm growing in wisdom and now I think hmm, in about a month after playing a little bit more in the world, I'm going to become a Christian. That's what I'm going to do. What are you going to do next month? That's not how it works. That the Holy Spirit uses the very Word of God to puncture and penetrate a dead heart, causing it to come alive. And now this heart, this inner being sees sin as being awful and loathsome and looks at Christ and sees Him as being awesome and lovely and turns from sin and trusts and rests and adores and imbibes Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. And that's how it starts here. Everyone who is born of God doesn't keep on sinning. And yet, we do sin. 1 John 1 says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when you sin, you confess your sins and He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Certainly, He doesn't mean that we are sinless. So what is He getting at? It's this lifestyle pattern habitual, never-breaking, actually even loving certain kinds of sins. That's totally incompatible with a son or a daughter of the high king. Sin and Christianity don't cohabitate. They don't like each other. And, and, And when they do, it's awful and messy and horrible, and sin is 
reject it, and there's a repentance. That's Christianity. So, so as I was looking at that, how, how does that happen? Who is behind the scenes? Am I just supposed to hear about certainties and then just do like a mantra? Uh, all those who are born of God do not keep on sinning. All who are born of God don't keep on sinning. And then rise up and with sheer determination and willpower, stop sinning. <laughs> Have you tried it? It doesn't work. I've tried it. I've read about it. It just doesn't work. But rather, the one who is behind the scenes, something supernatural is happening, causing Dan Turner to snap from besetting sins and take a lifestyle and start moving it towards looking more like Jesus Christ. And all of you who are born of God, that's your truth too. Who is behind the scenes? So as we read on, we have an enigmatic kind of statement. Everyone who's born of God doesn't keep on sinning, but the one who was born of God protects him. Does he have a name? Who, who is this person? It's fascinating to read the Bible and see what God is saying with this. So if you go out to like Colossians, you will see the Apostle Paul talking about the one who has taken us out of darkness into his marvelous light, Jesus Christ. And he's called the firstborn from the dead. That's an interesting concept. So the first born from the dead, that is to say his resurrection, he was dead. And now he has resurrection life and he comes up out of the grave and then triggers, unleashes this widespreading, miraculous, I'm causing more and more people to be born again and put them in me. And that's life. So he is the one who was born of God? Yeah, and then when you look at like Romans 4, you can start up like at verse 16 and you start reading and you see that the God of life takes something dead and creates life. He talks about Adam, or he talks about Abraham and Sarah. He looks at Sarah's womb, who it's totally barren, there's no life there, and out comes life. And it's typological for death and life, a resurrection spiritually. And so here, who we see is the resurrection, ascended, glorified Christ who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I won't. I will protect him. Notice how it shifts from everyone to individuals, to him, and of course her. Everyone who is born of God, I, Jesus Christ, am with you, and I protect you. That's so sweet, so personal. Otherwise, I would just go off sinning. No, no. I'll have you, and I'll protect you. From what, Jesus? From the evil one, so that he doesn't even touch you. This decrepit, icy, grueling finger of Satan won't even touch you. That's amazing. And as you look at that word touch, it doesn't just mean scratch or whatnot. There's a hurt. There's, a, there's an injury. There's a consuming, right? He will never snatch us out of Jesus' arms, period. 
And when I looked at that and started thinking, that isn't so. What about Job? What about Job? Satan actually said, everyone would love you if you protected them. So let me touch him. And he said, go ahead, just don't kill him. And he touched him. And he destroyed his ten kids. And he touched him. And boils were all over his body. His wife just said, oh, just curse God and die. And Job was protected. Job 5, 17 through 19. If you're writing these down, you'll see that this is an echo of Job 5 right here. And he's alluding to that. And he says, I will never let him touch you. So he's going to hurt, but he won't harm God's people. Do you understand that? So here's the first certainty, little children, as you're getting ready to go out to your respective homes, your respective relationships, to your work, to your neighbors. It's a supernatural world, and there's danger everywhere, but Jesus will protect you from the evil one. And now look at 19. How does that relate to 18? He repeats himself. He says, and we know that we are from God. Yes, yes, you've said that. And you've said it for five chapters. And I understand that, or at least as much as I can. But then he went into the second part of the sentence. And he only connected the second part of the sentence to the first part of the sentence with this little word, and. I want to know the logical connection between the two. It doesn't make sense to me. Because then he goes in to say, and the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. And I go, Certainty, little children, do you hear this? And if you don't have the certainty of 18, you little children, I know what you're going to do. You're going to run to your bedroom and jump into your bed and throw the sheets over your head and never come out. But there is courage and boldness and strength in Jesus Christ who protects. So what are you getting at in verse 19? Well, as you continue to think upon 1 John and wonder a bit and ask God for help, for connections in this letter, you begin to see something. It is a certainty. We just saw it. The whole world lies under the power, control of the evil one. That's a reality. But how does it connect with we are born again? The only other place that John uses this Greek phrase that's translated into English, whole world, is found in 1 John 2.2. I want to hear this. 1 John 2.2 says, we have the advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Amen? Amen. It is. God is not angry with us anymore. He poured out his wrath on Jesus and Jesus snuffed the righteous anger against our sins and put it into the grave and came up out of the grave and we are cleansed and we are welcomed by a happy and holy God as our Father. But then read on. But not for ours only, but for the sins of the hear it? whole world. There, there's that phrase. Why does he say it there? 
He's, he's introducing the Great Commission to his churches in Asia Minor. You read like his gospel, John 17. You can write that down. There's a lot of echoes in 1 John from John 17. And then how John closes in 2021. He says, as, I'm, as I was sent into this world, so now I am sending you out into this world. So it's the great commission. He breathes on them and says, the Holy Spirit will come to you after I ascend and release him. So what's the connection? We live in this world that is under the sway, lying under. The imagery is, is one of not this whole world is fiercely fighting for life, but rather is just simply being rocked kept deep, deep asleep, coma-like, dead-like, under the malevolent lullaby of the evil one. They like it. Everything's okay. There's nothing wrong. Now, when you hear that, listen to how your heart responds. For some, it would be, <laughs> really? I mean, I have a 60-inch plasma TV, and I watch. I know there's some gross things, but I don't think it's all that bad. And, and, and by the way, I can handle myself, thank you very much. So me, concern? Nah. And that person goes off into the world and is assimilated into the world. But then there's a couple other responses to this. Maybe your heart kind of a heart jerking reaction when you hear this. The, the, the first one is like, ooh, yuck. The whole world drips with satanic sway and control and that's gross. It's weird. And when I see worldly things, I think the same thing. It's gross and it's weird and it's ugly and I'm never going to get close to it. And so this person takes off. Okay, I understand but then the third type of response would be like this, danger, danger, warning, flee, flee. And that's a good response, and yet it takes off and it flees. Whether you are assimilated into this world or isolated from this world, you are not in this world redemptively. Does that make sense, little children? as you hear the parting words to go out into the world. Rather, in Matthew 9, right around 28 or so, Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he said that the crowds were coming to him, and he said these words. Jesus saw the crowd, the very ones in 1 John 5, 19b, and he felt compassion them because they were distressed and downcast, hapless and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And turning to his disciples, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the field. 19b, the second part of that sentence. So you see, I believe that the, the relationship between those two is we are born from a, above. 
We are God's children. We are miracle children because of his Holy Spirit in us. And we are protected by the second member of the Trinity, Jesus himself, from the evil one. Therefore, let's go in as, as enemy territory and seek out the POWs, the prisoners of war that have been held captive by this satanic, malevolent lullaby, keeping people in death until they're rocked into hell. That, I think, is the connection. Little children, as you hear parting words, take it to heart. Paul said it to Timothy, who was in this area in Ephesus. He said, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged with gentleness, correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, that they might escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do his will. Does your heart ache for those under this lullaby? Wake them up. You're born from above. Wake them up with the words of the gospel and the way that the gospel has our lives to be. Point number two, all those who are born of God are in this kind of world. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Look at verse 20. And we know, and we know that the Son of God has come, so there's the incarnation, and has given us understanding purpose clause, so that we will know the one true God, that we are in Christ, and we know the true God. Now, this is a complex, condensed version of John 17 and a lot of John's theology. But suffice it to say this, that Jesus Christ came to give us understanding. Please don't think that as being some natural ability, having read a bunch of books, to now discern truth from error and be able to scour through data and history to say these are facts. Assenting to mere knowledge. Yes, that's true. No, that's false. It's not that at all. It's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It's an understanding, a perception. 18, he gives us protection. 20, he gives us perception to to navigate into this dark world. And this perception is found in Jeremiah 31, 31 and following of the new covenant. Remember that one? The days are coming when? And it's the whole gospel story. And he takes his, his... his words, and he writes them indelibly on the heart. Nothing is external. It's, it's internal. It's alive. The heart is alive, and you hear the Lord, and you know the Lord. And this word know is not just knowledge. It's an intimacy. It's I really know him, and I love him. And he puts us in Christ, in whom we find All the Trinitarian love and delight and glory. Read John 17, 12 and following, you'll see it. And so God's children 
are treated by God as God's son because we're in him. And we experience the love that the Father has for the Son and the delight that the Son has for the Father. And we're right in the middle of this this swirling, sublime reality. We are utterly loved by God and we can delight in His divinity. Now, why is that so important in this kind of world? Look at the contrast now. This is a couplet from 20 to 21. You see true, true, true. You see it there? It's not on my forehead. In verse 20, there's, there's, there's repetition to say there's only one true God. Another word for it is genuine, as opposed to what? Counterfeit. 21. Little children, keep yourselves from counterfeit. You see it? And so we have this understanding of Christ in such a way that it brings forth an intimate union and communion with Him, so much so that the counterfeit substitute gods of this age do not get their upper hand on our affections, which will take our attention away from God. All those kinds of things. This is what we have. All who are born again are truly knowing the one true God. And then you get to this exhortation. Certainties and responsibilities. We saw a few little responsibilities in 19, namely mission out into the world with God's redemptive love found in Jesus Christ. Then 21 says, little children, look out for each other. That's a Turner paraphrase, but, but keep yourselves from idols. It's not just an individualistic keep yourself from idols, it's, though that's true, but it's you're in a family. Watch out for one another. Keep yourselves from idols. So, idols, 105 verses, First John, you never hear him say idol once. And all of a sudden, idols, the heck. First John 2, 15, 16, right in there, you'll see, do not love the world or the things in the world. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does doesn't come from the Father, but it's from the world. That's idolatry. And the whole theology of idolatry comes from Genesis 3, 1 through 5, with the serpent coming in and deceiving Eve and and says to God, you're not enough for me. I'm going to go this way to get what I really need. And then that whole thing unleashes idolatry all through the Old Testament and comes into the New Testament. We don't have time to unpack it much, but just write down some some go-to text so that you can think about it a little bit more deeply, perhaps. Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13, you will see the two evils in this world. That's a, a go-to text to understand idolatry. Jeremiah 2, 11 through 13, you'll see the two evils forsaking the living God, the fountain of living water, 
and then turning and, and going into cisterns that can hold no water. And, and that's an imagery of idolatry. Ezekiel, you don't have to spell it. Easy e is good enough. 14 verses 1 through 5. Great passage to look at what this idolatry is. It's not external. We bring it into the heart. Maybe, maybe Romans 1, 18 through 25. And Paul just comes right out and says, it's trading treasures. It's exchanging the glory of God for an image. Creator is not enough. So now we have a vacuum. And a vacuum will never stay empty for long. It's filled with creation. So we look at Christ, we look at God and say, you're just not enough right now. I need dot, dot, dot. And then we take our affections and our attention and put them on different objects. That's idolatry. One pastor said it's, it's taking a, a good thing and making it into an ultimate thing, and that's really a bad thing. Kind of the way it is. And in the Christian world, these idols generally aren't dripping, sinful kind of, they're, they're good things that, that are clung to like little gods because Jesus has become dim and distant in our hearts. So as I was thinking about that, here might be some help for us to look for those in order to look out for one another. And if you like acronyms, they help me to remember. If you don't, just discard it. But these are the fabs, okay? Fabulous. I just, that would take an hour and a half to do that one. So fab would probably be enough. Start with family. What a sweet, sweet gift from the Lord. I cannot thank God enough for my family. I cannot thank God enough for all your families running around here and growing and falling and crying and laughing and being helped. And families are so sweet. Hmm. Until we look at them and say, I haven't regarded Jesus as being holy and, and glorious and magnificent and a long time, and I know he is. I believe the Bible, but it's just on a page, and, and life is so hectic now, and so I sink my hunt for happiness right in you, family, and you better produce. So all my joy, all my purpose, all my meaning in life is I'm a dad, and, it, and you're my children, and I expect you to love the Lord and love people and love me and make much of me, and this is... And if you don't, I get really disturbed. Hmm, looks like an idol to me. Or, or we're single, and we look out over these wonderful families, and we say, could it be, Lord, that you'll give me a family as a savior or as a deliverer from my loneliness? Won't you please give me that because I hate where I'm at? And so we lust after that and draw our attention away from that. And, oh, family. Why would we call that an idol? Taking something so precious as Jesus and, and shifting it over to whatever we pin our hopes on that God has not promised us is dangerous, ultimately depressing, and damning. 
Who, who watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday? One, two, three. Okay, so the illustration might not go anywhere, but I thought it was a good one. So Lisa and I watched it, and it's a five-hour thing, and we watched, I think, three minutes of it. It was right at the end. And that's the big one. That's the grand finale. That's the Kentucky. And, and um, who was it? Maximum Security, an interesting name for a, a horse, um, was, was um, uh, running and on, on the move and, and leading this. And it was an incredible, incredible race. Prior to that, they interviewed jockeys. And I heard one say this. Everyone has dreamt of winning the Kentucky Derby here. Everyone from a little guy up to a 26-year-old man has dreamt this. We, we've listened to horse races on the radio, and we've went out and we've looked at horses, and we've gotten on them and kind of rode them a little bit, and we just started loving these animals, and we started thinking about the training and, and studying how to hold on and how to run them and how to do this. And, and because anyone, this is a quote, who wins the Kentucky Derby, his life is changed forever. And I thought, wow, what a statement. Now, back into the race. Maximum security, I don't make these things up, is running and is in first place, and he's going right around the bend. This is the last straightaway, and he gets out of his lane, one lane and two lanes, and now starts disturbing other horses that could have perhaps passed him and won the Kentucky Derby. So, maximum security wins champagne. No, I guess it's milk. No, that's a whor- the car race, isn't it? Yeah, champagne. Something explodes, and everyone is excited about maximum security. And the 26-year-old from Panama is just like a little child, so giddy. And then up on the screen says, objection. This doesn't happen in the Kentucky Derby. And then the stewards, I didn't know they had stewards. They have three of them. They went into their little room, and they've got all these monitors, and they were looking at all these angles, and they have to make a judgment. If there is this kind of infraction, he is disqualified. That is never going to happen. It never has in 145 years. He comes out and he says, she says, um, you're disqualified. And it was like, what did she just say? And maximum security just imploded, just deflated. And the camera's on him. And he walks off, and this other one, Country House, I think his name is, went, oh, we won. And it was just such a weird way of doing it. The, the trainer, the owner, the jockey pinned their hope on not what God has promised, hoping that it would give them life forevermore, and it just got deflated in one swoop. That's what idolatry is, and that happens with us. And so we have to be on the lookout for one another because it happens. In family, there's an A and a B, isn't there? The, the A, I, I was thinking the academy, you know, I was treated as a, 
dumb idiot in elementary school and junior high and doggone it, I'm going to make a life for myself and I'm going to be treated as a somebody and so I'm going to go off into a trade school, I'm going to go off into college and university and in there I'm going to get this experience and this, this diploma and this certification and, 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 and out of that I, I'm going to be I'm going to be treated as a somebody. I'm, 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 I'm influential now. And now I have a key to open up a door of an opportunity that gets me into a job or, or maybe a profession of some sort. And in that, now I'm treated as the go-to person. <gasps> That's what I've always wanted. Oh, it's damning. It's so alluring for some. Or the B in fab. How about beauty and image? It's everywhere, isn't it? Where we spend just so much of our energy and time with appearance. We look in the mirror and say, i got to do better than that so I can present myself to a watching world so that they will make much of me and they will accept me. i got to be accepted in this world. I know I'll go into eating disorders. i got to do something with this body. Oh, I've got to do something. I just love image. I love the beauty of, and so I'm going to go into lustful pursuits, and I'm going to go into pornography, or I'm, I'm going to go into to steamy romance novels. I've got to get, and it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> Marriages don't make it to 25 years old, or 30, or 50, or a 60. That's so sweet. Lisa, hang in there. 60 would be so sweet to hold your hand and walk in a park or maybe have someone push my... <laughs> but do you understand? This flesh, it starts sagging. It starts... And it just, you know, ah. And then we go out and say, but beauty and image, that will give me... Oof. It's called idolatry. And we need to be on guard for one another, not just for ourselves, for a drift. So, in conclusion, or little children, parting words for you. Remember the certainties and remember the responsibilities. Remember that we're born again and we are protected by Jesus. Remember that we're born from above and we're in this world that's dominated and influenced by Satan. And so, have a heart for those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And we, we are in Christ in such a way that we have this understanding and appreciation and intimacy for the one true God. And we live in a family called little children. So watch out. Watch out for one another. To try to help you, there won't be this application here, but to try to help you, Veritas Community Church is working on two seminars. It's going to come out in July, August, September, and October. And these two seminars, the first one is called Personal Growth and Ministry. Here we start looking at Answering the question, why do I do what I do? I've got besetting sins. I don't get it. I stop it and I start it. I stop it. I start it. And I, why do I do what I do? And where does lasting change take place? And how can I be a, 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 a participant in another person's life for lasting change? That's the personal growth and personal ministry. 
and then we'll finish that and then move into becoming commissional as a church. Now that there's maturing, now that we're going to be multiplying. And so in September and October, we'll be looking at that. We live in this kind of world, remember, little children. And so verse 19, evangelism. Verse 21, discipleship. This is the call on our lives as we are in Christ, loved by Him, protected by Him, and sent back into this world to do these kinds of things. So my parting words after three and a half months or four months is this. All born again believers have certainties and responsibilities. Go in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to a dead world and love one another with his gospel. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty Father, thank you very much for exploring and traversing First John. I don't want to leave it, and so help us never to leave it but live in those pages in such a way that we live them out at our workplace and at our home and at the Kroger store and down at the park and just help us to live out the life we find in Christ. Bless the little children now, I pray in Christ's name.